episode is going to focus on the church in England pre-Reformation. This means we will focus on the criticism of the church in England and how much desire there really was for reform. There are some historians who point to the fact that the church was corrupt as evidence that actually there were many people who welcomed religious change in England. Priests, bishops and monks have all been accused of corruption. And actually, a really good example of this is Thomas Wolsey. Wolsey was a prime example of a pluralist, meaning someone who held multiple positions in the church. Wolsey was Chancellor of England, Archbishop of York, as well as holding various titles in Durham, Lincoln and Bath. To make matters worse, Wolsey never once visited York before his downfall, meaning not only was he a pluralist, but he was absent. He and many people like him held positions for the wealth and status they brought, not to do the job. Now Wolsey is an example from the highest order of society, but actually many criticisms were of everyday priests. There are stories of anti-clericalism from all over England. Anti-clericalism means criticism of the clergy. There are stories of priests not being able to speak or read Latin. Now this was significant because Latin was the language of the Bible. So if a priest could not read Latin, then they could not be leading their congregations down the right path. Remember, a congregation is a group of people who attend a specific church. As well as criticism of the clergy not doing their jobs properly, there was also criticism of canon law. This was law within the church under which the clergy enjoyed special privileges. The most obvious example in Tudor England of the clergy being protected under canon law was the case of Richard Hun. Hun was a prosperous London merchant who took on the church as he felt he had been forced to pay excessive mortuary fees in order to bury his infant child. This is significant because this is a time when everyone is religious and in order to pass into the next life, people had to be buried properly with a service. Without paying the fees, this could not happen. Now there are two views of what happened next, depending on whether you supported Hun or the church. Supporters of Hun said that the church made up charges of heresy against Hun because he had dared to challenge them. This allowed the church to arrest and murder Hun. As a result, Hun forfeited all of his property, leaving his widow and his remaining children poverty-stricken. Whereas the church said Hun was a heretic who had committed suicide while awaiting trial. Now the coroners at the time said that Hun could not have committed suicide, so historians have tended to agree that what probably happened was he was being tortured and it went wrong. It was a criticism of the church for years, but the Bishop of London, who was supposed to be in charge of Hunt and his imprisonment, 
escaped without punishment. Our final example of anti-clericalism, uh, which I want to highlight, was Simon Fisher's pamphlet, The Supplication for the Beggars. This was published in 1528. He argued that the country's economic problems were the result of greed and corruption within the church. He also accused monks, priests and friars of breaking their vows. Most commonly, he accused them of getting married or having sex, both of which were prohibited for people who worked for the church. More importantly though, I want to talk about the growth of Protestantism. In England, this started with a group called the Lollards. They existed almost entirely in the south of England and they followed John Wycliffe's principles for religion. Wycliffe was a 14th century Englishman and one of his key advocations was for the Bible to be in English. Now this doesn't sound too radical now, but remember at the time religion mattered. Everyone believed in religion and so the language the Bible was in mattered. Those who used the wrong Bible would be doomed to spend all of eternity burning in hell. So historians know very little about the Lollards. Um, this is because they're an underground group. If they'd have been caught, they'd have been heretics and they'd have been burnt at the stake. But generally, historians understand that they were confined to the emerging middle classes of the south of England. A much bigger group was growing on the continent and these were Lutherans. These were early Protestants who had been influenced by the German monk Martin Luther. Although not widespread, these teachings and writings reached England in about 1520. Henry VIII himself had even written a pamphlet denouncing Martin Luther and defending the Pope. This was written in conjunction with Sir Thomas More, Henry's longtime friend, and as a reward, the Pope gave Henry the title Defender of the Faith, a title which the Queen of England still uses today. Very few people in practice in England were Lutheran. Almost everyone believed in transubstantiation and purgatory, two ideas that Lutheran attacked. Transubstantiation was the belief that during Mass, the bread and the wine transform into the body and blood of Christ. While Luther said they were merely representations. Remember, burn in hell for all eternity if you get these things wrong. They really, really do matter. Purgatory, I like to describe as the waiting room between heaven and hell. While God decides where you're going to go and he weighs what you like. It was really the English Bible which Protestants in England were focused on. Even by 1530, Lutherans in England were in the hundreds, not the thousands. Lutherans in England were likely to be academics, who had studied at Cambridge, family members of the nobility, because they were well educated, or literate town people who could access Lutheran's work thanks to the printing press. Now that last group, they were the least influential and the least likely because actually that was part of the emerging middle class people who were generally lollards 
I'm not an English boy. In 1525, William Tyndale printed a copy of the New Testament in English. This was new and it was radical, although he was executed as a heretic in 1536, so not great for him. There is even evidence that it did spread through England. Some historians argue that this made the Reformation inevitable and the break with Rome simply hastened it. However, I don't think that is the case. Although there was clearly some anti-clericalism throughout England, it was not widespread, and the vast majority of people in England were not calling for a revolution, but simply an improvement to the already existing Catholic Church. 